Hello, everyone, and welcome to Quinn Cummings Gives Bad Advice, the podcast where I, Quinn Cummings, give advice to people I do not know. If you're joining us for the first time, you may be asking yourself, does Quinn really want to give me bad advice? And the answer is no, I do not want to give you bad advice. I want to give you good advice. But I have absolutely no qualification to give you any sort of advice at all. I am not an architect. I am not a nuclear technician. I am not a feng shui expert. I give advice because it amuses me to do so. So you might be asking yourself, will this advice I'm about to give you be good advice? Well, I think the answer is in the title of the podcast. If you want me to give you bad advice, you can leave a question for me at qcbad.com. It's completely anonymous, and better yet, it's completely free. So I can offer up this advice with a 100% money-back guarantee. Now, let's get started. My first question comes from qcbad.com. Hi, Quinn. I've had a real cold streak in my dating life. Dating apps don't seem to work. Meeting people in person doesn't seem to work. I could use any advice, suggestions, anything you think might help. I'm going to repeat back what I think I'm hearing. You used to have more success than you do right now. Online has not worked, and offline has not worked. That's a big swath of our lives you have declared unusable. I'm not saying dating at its core isn't kind of weird and brings out all sorts of itchy and vulnerable feelings, not all of which are pleasant. But people manage to do it, if for no other reason than it's better than sitting at home rewatching BoJack Horseman. You managed to do it before now, right? Something has changed, and I think any external suggestions I give you are irrelevant because I think it's somewhere in you. Athletes have something called the yips when they suddenly lose basic skills. The golfer who can't putt, the tennis player who suddenly can't figure out how to serve. It's hellish, at least in part, because how do you get back something you do unconsciously? I think you have the dating yips. I have one suggestion. If you're genuinely not finding connections right now, tell yourself, fine, I'm not going to think about dating in any form for three months while I train for a triathlon or learn enough Italian so I can start planning a trip to Florence and communicate on my own or research reputable ayahuasca shamans in my state and then go vomit and see God. Athletes battling the yips will tell you the worst thing they can do is attack the problem head-on because it just jams them up further. I want you to take the energy that is your current frustration and pour it into something else for three months. At the very least, three months from now, you'll know some new people and have some new stories to tell on first dates when the yips finally let go of you. Our next question comes from Twitter. Dear Quinn, what more can they ask in a second job interview? What more can I share with them? This second interview may not be about you exactly. 
this second interview might be because the person who has to sign off on hiring was out of town the last time, or the second person had no idea they wanted to weigh in on this hire until after you left, or the person you saw the first time developed a migraine during your interview and can't remember exactly what you said. What more can they ask? Who can say? Who cares? You were qualified for the job the last time, and you remain qualified for the job. Whatever they ask, you answer honestly and politely. What more can you share? That which fleshes out the person you are, the person they liked enough to bring back. At this point, it may just be about chemistry. Walk in with a smile and a well-earned sense of belonging there. Because they asked you back. Next question comes from qcbad.com. Dear Quinn, I've been best friends with the same person since we were 15. We both turned 40 next year and have been through a lot together. But this person literally drives me bonkers. We come from very different walks of life. My family does not come from wealth, yet theirs does. We don't agree on most things because I stress about money and they stress about social status. I feel indebted because we've been through so much in our many years, but I'm so tired. How do I explain how I feel to someone who has always gotten their way and has cash to throw at any problem that I love them, but I don't like them? Consort, my partner, works with a bunch of would-be Mark Zuckerbergs helping them to create their business models. The thing he always begins with with them is two questions. To whom are you speaking and what do you want them to do? If you're talking to your romantic partner and you're angling for adult wrestling time, you're going to have a very different tone than if you're asking the Walmart greeter where the bathroom is. Or maybe not. I don't know you. The point is, I don't think there's actually a reason to break down why the two of you have, well, broken down. It's not as if she suddenly started chewing loudly and it's making meals with her unpleasant. What you have is history, not future. Unless you're walking around with her kidney inside of you, indebtedness is no reason to call someone a friend. If you're both that different, it's possible she's not getting that much out of it anymore either. Maybe you start letting longer and longer times go between returning her calls and texts. See if she seems upset. If she demands a reason, give her one. If she lets it die by neglect, you can walk away with a clear conscience. Dear Quinn, I am currently on an airplane in a middle seat. How do I stake my claim for the armrest without it being an all-out war for the next three to five hours? You really want that armrest and you have no fear for your immortal soul? Wait until that person sits down and then have a nice long wet cough on the armrest. You're probably going to hell, but you'll have the armrest. My next question comes from QCBad.com. Dear Quinn, my sibling has an anxiety disorder and is messing with her medication dosage and is adding CBD. She flips out when I set boundaries and hold her accountable for her actions. Should I just ignore her terrible behavior, stop talking to her, or assert myself every time and fight it out? 
I'm assuming you're both adults. She is an adult with a bit of wiring which makes being her a sometimes unpleasant experience. But she's still an adult. An adult who is choosing to tweak her meds without medical oversight. You are well within your rights to decide what the boundaries are and hold to them. She will fuss because it's more fun to get to do what you want. But this isn't a monologue. This is a scene. You are both there. It doesn't have to be a fight, though. Make it very boring. Imagine you don't want her to, oh, God, I don't know, eat scissors. So you say to her, if you eat scissors, I'm going home. She'll make a production out of this, but you do not engage. You merely repeat, if you eat scissors, I'm going home. If she eats scissors, you say calmly, you ate scissors, I'm going home. And then you do. The next time you see her, you begin by saying, if you eat scissors, you see where I'm going. Don't try to police everything. It will make you exhausted and you will get nothing. Find two or three things at most which are non-negotiable. If she tries to spin the topic, stay where you are. Her energy requires someone coming back with equal force. Anxiety likes that. Give her nothing but a healthy boundary and you might find she quiets down. Dear Quinn, my son and his girlfriend are homeschooling their six-year-old. He has never played with another child or been out of their sight ever. He talks like a three-year-old. He has no social skills. I feel his life is ruined already. They won't listen to anyone. What can I do? I, I'm concerned for this child because the two groups around him are heading into increasingly tinier corners. The fact that you're saying, I feel his life is ruined already. He's six. He can come back from this. The human brain is remarkably plastic. Maybe they feel as if they have to take this hard of a stance because they feel as if they're being judged. Maybe you're taking your stance that he is being ruined because you think that they're being so draconian. Maybe everybody is getting more and more rigid in pursuit of helping this boy, and no one is helping this boy. So, as the adult, you need to walk a little bit closer to him and bite your tongue. You need to suggest that you go with them as a family to the park, that he have a P.E. day, offer to make a picnic, do things that put him around other children, because right now I fear it's becoming a battle of wills between the adults. As much as you know you are right, you have to stop taking this tone and support how they choose to raise their child because that is the only chance you have to allow him to be the child he can be. One final thought. I suspect you and your son are more alike than you are different, and I think he may have gotten his stubbornness from you. Dear Quinn, five years ago, I realized my religion, Mormonism, was a fraud. I didn't tell anyone, not my spouse, not my children, not my religious leaders. I've lived a lie for five years. 
The result of this is a numbness to life, strained relationships, and existential crisis. I've begun the process of telling family I no longer believe and why. The backfire effect is real. How can I, an adult of 50-ish years of age, cast aside my old beliefs, behaviors, and mental behaviors to find joy while preserving relationships with those I love? I want to tell you how much I admire you. It would have been easy to just keep pretending. Houses of worship throughout the world are generously sprinkled with people pretending, or hoping their faith comes back, or just using that time to try to remember where they put their old yearbooks. You took the lonelier and more honorable path. You refused to pretend anymore because it was starting to kill you. It's terrifying because you are giving up a something even a flawed and now meaningless to you something, and replacing it with, you don't know yet. This is always terrifying, and it is where the interesting stuff happens. Say what you will of the life in the LDS community. It was really, really predictable. Where you are now is most assuredly not. Again, I really admire you. Now, what to do? I want you to read The Journey of the Hero by Joseph Campbell, a flawed book written by a flawed man, but it might prove useful. You are on a journey. This book might help you reframe it as something not leading you away from everything you know and understand, but rather towards the person you get to be next. Also, you probably have done this, but if you haven't, Find communities of ex-Mormons online, and if you can find them, in person. Leaving any religion is hard because it's framed as, quite literally, eternal life or death. But from what I've read about leaving the LDS church, it is particularly hard, especially if your family is still LDS. You need people around you who understand the exact ache you are experiencing. As far as joy goes, it's coming. But you're grieving right now, and it's hard to be joyful when you're grieving. I promise you, it will get better. You did a heroic thing, and you are stronger than you ever realized. How do you preserve relationships? You tell them again and again and probably again that you're happy the church gives them meaning, but it no longer gave you meaning and that you sitting there faking it was disrespectful to both you and the believers. Stay quiet. Don't argue. Just live honestly. You never know. Someone who isn't quite ready to walk away yet might be watching you and finding their own hero. Okay, I think that's enough bad advice for today. And remember, I can't give you bad advice if you don't ask for it. Your question doesn't have to be profound, complex, or emotionally demanding. It can be about pretty much anything because, let's face it, I am unqualified to offer advice across a wide range of subject matter. And as we all know, sometimes the nuttiest question gets the best bad advice. You can reach me on Twitter, at Quincy. That's Q-U-I-N-N-C-Y at Twitter.com. 
Or you can post a question to qcbad.com. Just log into letter Q, letter C, B A D.com, and there's a question form right there. The question can be any length, but I'm finding they work better if they're shorter. Just a hint. Before I go, I'd like to thank Richard Emmett, who composed my groovy music, and Keith Greenstein, who designed my groovy logo. People have already started asking me how they can get a Bad Advice Fork in a Toaster t-shirt or coffee mug, and my answer to them is, hang in there, we are working on it. I also want to thank Phil Rohr and Prime Rib Productions for making it possible for you to hear any of this. Okay, that's enough for now. Keep those questions coming, and I'll see you all next time.